Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. This podcast is a platform to talk about trends, tastes, and emerging brands and products in the fashion, design, home, food, and lifestyle spaces. Amanda and I are fashion buyers. We've worked in the industry for, I mean, probably combined, I don't know, 30 years. Oh, God. <laughs> this is not only something that we are paid professionals at and something that we are extremely, extremely proficient at, but it's something that we're generally in love with. We are passionate about it. We research it. We learn it. We talk about it. People trust our opinion in this space. We are buyers, which in essence means we are professional shoppers. Although I just want to say that we're a lot more than that. And I get really angry at people when they think I go shopping for a living, but we are professional shoppers on top of everything else. We are immersed in the market, sourcing and discovering trends, finding and fulfilling niche needs. A good buyer knows what is smart, sellable, cool, commercial, and a good buyer really understands what the customer wants before the customer knows what they want. It doesn't necessarily mean what we want either. Lesson number one of buying, I feel like I give this time and time again to younger buyers that I'm mentoring, is you're not buying for yourself. You have to take yourself out of the equation. Exactly. I mean, that, that also applies to designers, like designers that design for themselves. You can see it. And it doesn't mean that you're making a commercially viable product. In our area and in our space, you know, you might not have heard of this job, but buyers are kind of like celebrities in the market. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> it, yeah, no big deal. I mean, it really, it, it kind of depends on where, where you're buying, who you're buying for, how you're buying. But at least to brands, if you work for a larger brand, it means you have a really big budget and a really big pocketbook. It sounds glamorous. You know, we travel a lot. You know, depending on which kind of buyer you are, you could be going to trade shows, um, you go to runway shows. It's pretty grueling. There's a lot of travel. There's a lot of math and Excel, um, a lot of data crunching and analyzing um, to really be able to hone in on the right product for your customer. Long meetings and the weight of that top line that comes crushing down on you from the executives. <laughs> you are responsible because you are the person that is bringing that product in. You know, uh, Obviously, you have to work with the marketing teams and you have to work with the social media teams and uh, receiving and you know all those like logistical teams and things to make sure that the part that you buy is being displayed and sold properly. I have personally been stalked and chased at trade <laughs> shows in mm -hmm, Brooklyn, mm -hmm. uh, people coming to stores, like just waiting for me, even though I don't, I work in an office, you know, constant, constant, constant emails. And it, you know, it's, it's a lot, you know, there's a, there's a lot of demand coming at you for once, but you know, ultimately you're responsible for picking the right product and knowing exactly you know, what your customer needs, wants, and can trust you on. Absolutely. And I would say that you have to know what your customer wants before your customer knows it. 
So you have to be ahead of the trend. But And I always say that, yes, we're talking about fashion trends, but we're also talking about social trends. And I think that's really important more now than ever. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, everything's moving at breakneck speed. Uh, you know, in this coronavirus pandemic, we all, everyone had to pivot to appeal to a completely different lifestyle. So, you know, being able to be on top of the ball is is kind of the name of the game and following those trends and following what's happening socially and how, following what's happening economically. And it's, 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 it's something that Amanda and I are, you know, we love and we're good at, and we really wanted to create this platform so we could share things that not only are trending and interesting, but, you know, things that we believe in as well, or recommendations that we have and, you know, ideas of how these trends will eventually evolve over time and our kind of our thoughts on them. So to tell you a little bit about ourselves, um, you know, I'm Amanda. I have held just about every role you could hold in the world of fashion and retail buying. I began my career as a part-time seasonal sales associate eventually moved into buying. I had no idea that that was a job that existed. So if you don't know what a buyer is, don't worry about it. Neither did I. I assumed my first day I was just going to like, I don't know, like smoke cigarettes all day and look at catalogs. And that sounded great to me. I have since then worked for large companies like Urban Outfitters, medium-sized, buzzy companies like Nasty Gal. I worked for a really small startup called Wild Fang. Most recently, I worked for a rental startup called Newly. I feel rental is an extremely viable concept for decreasing our consumption. All along the way, I've been also working as a consultant with a focus on sustainable brands and women-led businesses. Those are two things I'm super passionate about. My consulting work has taken me all over the place, from creating revenue plans and managing the P&L. The P&L is sort of the financial roadmap for a company, to creating visual concepts and retail spaces. I mean. Now I can kind of do everything related to the business of selling and making stuff. I am also the host of another podcast called Clothes Horse, which aims to decode and demystify the fashion industry with the goal of helping others make better decisions about how and where they spend their money so we can support brands and businesses that are doing good things while forcing other brands to do better, make better product, and take better care of their workers. And I'm Kim. Um, I also have held pretty much every job within the fashion industry as well with my specialization in e-commerce, um, e-commerce growth and development, and then in buying as well. Um, I started my career actually going to school to be a, a fashion designer. I studied textile and apparel design, and I was getting a certificate in business as well. And I found as I was exploring my options as a fashion designer, that I really liked the business side more. I found that there was actually more creativity and I really liked number crunching and I loved analyzing things and, you know, and being able to kind of like, you know, move the needle in a lot more strategic way. Um, so I, I kind of propelled myself there. You know, I worked at Oak, which is no longer existing. I think I was there for about seven years. I helped build the business from a small little boutique up until, you know, they had stores in Tokyo. And I moved on to, to Jordash because I wanted to work, uh, work with people where I could really kind of hone my skills, particularly in like the, um, the, the analytics portion and, you know, working with 
you know, best practices. And then I worked with Amanda at Nasty Gal as a buyer. And now I am in LA and I work as a sales and marketing director. So I did a pivot on it for a company that focuses on sustainability. Um, it's called Graphlands. We have, you know, our own in-house factory and we, uh, we work with mostly sustainable materials. Um, so Amanda and I together have a very, very holistic approach and understanding to, to trends and to taste and to brands. And that's kind of what this whole podcast is all about. And we're excited to kind of get started. Yeah. So let's get into episode one. I don't know if you've heard, but we've all been quarantined for a long time now. What? I know. In fact, I'm, it's almost five months. <laughs> I cannot believe this. Yes. It's been almost five months, guys. Yeah, I mean, kind of depending on where you live, but I remember specifically it was the 13th of March when I left work yeah. and I had a bad feeling that this was it. And we went to Target and it was like like the last helicopter out of Saigon sort of <laughs> mood there where like... <laughs> There was no food. There was one bag of cat food. It was already open. Mm -hmm. And like there was no, there were no paper products anywhere to be found. So I remember that. I remember we were going to work from home the next day. We never went back to work again. I was very shortly after furloughed and I now don't have a job at all. So it's been almost five months, but it feels sort of like it was like five weeks, you know? Yeah. Kind of crazy, right? So today we're just going to talk about some of the stuff and ideas that have been exploding out of our minds and into the world as we've all been sitting at home. Exactly. I I will get started. You know, one of the trends that I'm sure all of our listeners have probably slowly started to either evolve into or realize that they were maybe lacking is house shoes. I grew up in one of those houses um, where my mother is exceptionally clean and you have to take your shoes off before (laughs) you come in, you know, which Mm I hate personally. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take my shoes off. (laughs) And I also don't like going to someone's house, particularly for a party when you are all dressed up and you picked out the right shoe. Maybe you've got like a a sock on or a tight or you're barefoot. And then you get to the party and they're like, Oh, oh, you know, we're a shoeless house. You're like, (laughs) (laughs) you just ruined my outfit. (laughs) Make my legs look really long. And then, you know, I I don't know, Amanda, if, if, if you have any sort of experience with being in a shoeless house. Well, I actually grew up in a shoeless house too. And I thought it was because my mom was mean which she was, but I also think it was because she wanted to keep the house clean. And now that I am stuck in my house every moment of my life, we also have instituted that policy at our house. It gets filthy. It really does. The same week the quarantine began, I was like, okay, we've obviously have to change a lot of things that we're doing and try to keep as much of the outside world out of our house. So I ordered a shoe rack that hangs on the wall right inside our door. It's very cute. Yeah. And you come in and you put your shoes there and everybody in our house, there are only three of us, we have a pair of house shoes in there and you just swap it out. Now I would not, I mean, the, the thought of having someone over at my house right now is so crazy. Yeah, right. <laughs> it hasn't happened in a long time. I probably won't have people over until this is all over. Um, and in that point, I would not ask people to take their shoes off because I think that's weird. And I always think of that episode of Sex in the City. Yeah. Remember when her shoes got stolen yep. at the no shoes party? I, so 
I just, I think it's like so silly, but I understand it for right now. And to be honest, I've been wearing house shoes for so long that I am dreading when winter comes and I have to put on real shoes. Yeah. Because I don't think my feet are going to be able to handle it. I think it's going to hurt. Like a heel? Yeah, like like a a hard leather shoe. No, thank you. Yeah, I've been wearing those rubber Birkenstocks for five months now. Mm -hmm. When it was colder, when when quarantine first began, I would wear socks with them. It's now super hot, swampy East Coast summer, and so I'm not doing that. But one day I was like, I'm going to put on these cute cowboy boots to go to the grocery store because that's the only place I go, and I got blisters. (laughs) (laughs) like my feet are I think I've also done baby foot twice since quarantine began so I really only have the softest most delicate skin on my feet now what's baby foot what okay I would say baby foot is a sub trend of house shoes yeah there is a brand called baby foot or baby feet but there's a whole range of products that do the same thing and it's like this these plastic bags that you put on your feet that are filled with some sort of like I think it's like alpha hydroxy acids. Oh, it's like an exfoliator. Yes. So basically first you soak your feet for about half an hour in water and like soaking your feet is a really important part of the process. Then you put these on, you leave them on for about half an hour to an hour, depending on how dicey your foot situation is. Take it off. You wash them. You have to wash them pretty aggressively because you don't want that to continue to sort of eat away at your feet. And then every day, for the next week or two, you want to soak your feet for about half an hour every day. And all of the skin will peel off your feet. And it's such a rewarding, fun project. Yeah. It's like something you don't want to share with someone else, but you Uh enjoy immensely. It, It feels really, really good. And if you're going to have a hideously peeling feet like this is the time you know mm-hmm. I remember way back in the old days of say late April I really thought the world was going to reopen by June so I did it before then and I was like this is great mm-hmm. I've got a few weeks of runway here to shed all this old coronavirus foot skin Gross. but then you know we continue <laughs> to be locked in our house and then July mm-hmm. rolled around and I was like you know they're, they're getting kind of dicey again so I did it again <laughs> Anyway, I recommend it. It's a good I'm home, why not kind of thing. And you can get that on like Amazon or something? Yeah, it's like 20, 30 bucks. I think it's like a set of two probably. And the one I got was peach scented, which I really enjoyed. Mm, Uh, And and like I said, it doesn't have to be called Baby Feet as a brand name. But when you search that, all kinds of baby foot type products will come up. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that, Amanda. (laughs) Anyway, so, you know, beyond baby feet, this rise of having shoes that you kind of wear indoors because like the casualness of just being barefoot or wearing a sock, it doesn't it doesn't help you get through your day necessarily. You know, in the Japanese culture, this is a really popular item, you know, or lifestyle. You basically go to someone's house and they will have guest slippers, you know, and you you swap out your shoes and you're wearing these special slippers. And there's another pair of slippers that you put on just to use the bathroom. Right. So you leave the house slippers outside the bathroom to put on the bathroom slippers, which you only wear in the bathroom. And generally the whole household shares the bathroom slippers. Like you're not going to have like five pairs of bathroom slippers lined up outside the bathroom. Just one. You know, and this is, is a practice for, um, businesses as well so it's not just homes it's you know restaurants health establishments you know a a lot of places you know this is just 
part of the the culture, you know, and I think this is going to continue to grow in the American culture, even at post-pandemic. I don't know, you know, Amanda has a, a really deep interest in the Japanese culture, which I'm sure you will hear more about at a different <laughs> time. So, you know, Amanda, if you have any anecdotes you want to throw in there about when you visited Japan, you know, this is the time. It is I mean, I knew about it. You know, there are a million articles out there that are like 10 things every Western traveler should know before they go to Japan. And I knew mm-hmm. I knew about this indoor shoes idea, but it's it's really hard as an American to train yourself to do that when you're not used to it. Like the first hotel that we walked into was very traditional. Yeah. And you had to take off your shoes in the lobby and leave them there and then wear the slippers the entire time you were in the hotel put your shoes on to leave. And that was, that was really challenging for me. It was when you were going in, into yeah. the hotel room or into the actual hotel lobby? Into the hotel lobby. So then what do you do with your real shoes? You leave them in the lobby. It's, and it's like honor system. Uh, and this was in Kyoto. So I don't think you would see this as often in Tokyo, but Kyoto really holds on to a lot of the more traditional lifestyle practices. That's fascinating. So walk in the hotel, look off to the left, there's a place to sit down and to stow your shoes. And then to the right are like all the house shoes and you just find a pair that are your size. It was hard for me. You know what? So we leave our shoes down there. We put on our slippers. We go upstairs. The next morning I get up, get dressed, put on a different pair of shoes and come down to the lobby and feel like a total asshole because I'm wearing (laughs) regular shoes. I just forgot, you know, like, I. uh, but I I do, I, I like it. I think it's really cool. I would love if we all normalized that. I don't know about like in a hotel lobby per mm-hmm. se, but I think indoors it is, there is a big difference in terms of cleanliness. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. You know, I, I was going to throw in a couple of recommendations of, of, you know, what I'm seeing out there. This, I'm sure Amanda, you probably have other ones. You talked about these uh, you said rubber Birkenstocks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're incredible. Um, what's great about them is if you're, you go outside a little bit, like I, not for a walk, but like I have a, I have a city backyard that's concrete with a little flower bed and a lot of my plants are out there and I feel like I can wear them out there Yeah. also to like repot plants, but then I can just rinse them off in the sink because they're just rubber. Yeah. It's so easy to clean. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty great. You know, there's, there's shoes with soles you know, and then there's things that are going to be a little bit more slipper-like. Top drawer. Are you familiar with top drawer by any chance, Amanda? I am. Yeah. Yes. I was looking for some house shoes for Dustin, my husband. Oh. It's almost like I predicted coronavirus, but I didn't know that. And I bought him some mm. house shoes mm-hmm. for Christmas. Well, no, first, let's rewind. In <laughs> November, I bought him some house shoes from Japan, and they were really cool, mm. but they were just... Uh, a little bit too small and non-returnable because they came from Japan. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try this again. And I got him a pair of like really luxurious fur-lined Minnetonka house shoes for Christmas. And he wore those for months, but like they're not meant to be worn 24 hours a day for months on end. They're not quarantine shoes is what I'm saying. Uh, So I've been looking for something new for him. Yeah. Well, top drawer, it's a, 
they, they have stores. Um, they have one here in LA. They have, I saw them in San Francisco. This is where I actually bought my own pair. They align with a lot of like Japanese elements and Japanese brands. And I think they might be the only retailer of these slippers, which are, they also call them house shoes. It's called um, Maripa. And it's kind of like this update of the Japanese house shoe and that they're really kind of colorful and quirky. You know, they come in different patterns. They have different like kind of like Sherpa lining. They're all soft. You can travel with them, roll them up. They are totally reversible. So you can flip from one side to the other machine washable. I think they retail for like $49. They're just like kind of cushy, soft, little interesting slippers that, you know, not it's not an isotoner we're talking about, you know, it's just kind of, kind of, kind of a cool hip little guy, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, so I have a pair of those. Sometimes I do um, some consulting projects for, you know, different emerging brands. And oftentimes I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get some product for trade and I'd gotten these alpaca slippers from this brand called Ariana Bowling. And I hadn't worn them that much because I travel so much. I work so much, you know, I don't, I don't really think about, swapping into slippers and I have been wearing these things nonstop and it feels like self-care you know they're made there's it's like a ethically sustainably sourced alpaca fur artisans make them it's a baby alpaca upper so it's just really mm-hmm. soft it's got a footbed with a lining and a suede sole it is mostly an indoor shoe you know, this is definitely going to be a little bit more luxe. I particularly like the crisscross version, but she's got some other styles too. I think those ones retail for around $200, but she's always running really great deals and things like that too. And then, you know, I think I've also found myself having two different types of sneakers. You know, I have my sneakers when I, when I work out at home, you know, I'll do my like fitness app program in the morning. And then in the evening I go for a walk, but I won't wear the same shoe. Like, it's kind of like the outdoor sneaker is only for outdoors and you take it off when you walk in <laughs> because you're going to trap coronavirus all over. <laughs> I mean, that makes, that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want, I feel like and this is based in no scientific knowledge whatsoever, but it seems like a sneaker would track in way more coronavirus. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's not like I'm going out doing much anyway. Like my only outings really are for these long, these walks mm-hmm. around the neighborhood. I would have never swapped sneakers. You know, I have my, my hookah ones, which are these like really cushy padded ones. They did a collaboration with opening ceremony and they're really kind of cool and they're, they're 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 supposedly the most cushiony um of the sneakers out there and then i have these like nikes mm-hmm. you know and the nikes are my you know my coronavirus sneakers <laughs> those, those go outside with me <laughs> and one time i accidentally wore the indoor sneaker out and i got really upset and i had to go home and swap them out oh my god i know i mean i've done this before too where i've accidentally mm-hmm gotten in the car and I'm like oh no I'm wearing my house shoes what am I gonna do the house shoes they're so comfortable yeah another shoe that I super recommend for a house shoe is super chic I'm sure you've seen them around they're called the babouche it's a Moroccan slide you probably would have seen them maybe two to three years ago the silhouette became really fashionable with like Celine and Acne did some you can kind of find them 
You can find them now, just the actual traditional Moroccan ones. I preferred the ones with the tapered toe. I'm actually wearing a pair right now. It's got a leather upper. It's got a leather sole. You can wear them outside, but oftentimes you can just, you know, just keep them as indoor slippers. You know, you can get these babooshes on like eBay and Etsy, like, I don't know, 80 bucks. Or you can get some that are slightly more fashionable. One of our friends, Ty, has a brand called Intentionally Blank, and he's got some different really great slide versions. I have done some more research on what else is kind of trending right now in this sphere besides, you know, what I'm wearing. And it really is kind of like that slide potentially with sandal with a sock, very kind of anti-fashion, which has already been trending, particularly amongst the Gen Zs and millennials who've been wearing Crocs and Birkenstocks. I I think I should jump in and say that my going places shoes currently are a pair of platform Crocs. And would you have ever said, would you have said that five years ago? Definitely not. (laughs) I will say everywhere I go, someone has to come up and ask me about them. Like this is the time I, there's this part of me. Yeah. I mean, and you, you know, you know me, you've worked with me for years. I'm quite a peacock. I always have like a look going on. There's a hat. There's always a hat. Hat and some flowing gowns of some sort Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. crazy shoes. And I really like this idea of us starting to be more utility focused, Mm -hmm. but like not, not what we think of like with utility with like, I don't know. I feel like that always goes in like a weird surplus route. That's not what I mean. But like wearing clothes that are really versatile that we can wear for a long time Mm -hmm. and in a lot of different ways. For me, one of the reasons I've always had a lot of clothes is because I don't know who I'm going to want to dress as when I wake up in the morning. And so that leaves you with just tons of stuff that's sort of single note and only for certain occasions. But what if you could still get that kind of versatility out of one garment, but wear it five different ways, like depending on where you are, like that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I want us to start doing. And I could see, this is very bad news for a lot of the shoemakers of the world. If they don't adapt, I could see us not going back to the era of really uncomfortable shoes for quite a while. I completely agree. I, it's the same thing about when, um, you know, yoga wear and Lululemon started becoming really popular you could not get people to get back into jeans. You know, the denim denim sales just dropped because everyone was wearing athleisure. And it became so popularized that you could kind of dress like that or dress it up and dress it down. The same thing's happening here. I mean, before the, the pandemic for about a year, I'd been wearing these danceos. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, and I was kind of like, God, they're so clunky and kind of ugly. But people kept coming up to me being like, you've inspired me to buy dance goes because they look so cool on you. And I'm like, the only reason I'm wearing them is because I'm standing at a trade show for like eight hours straight. And if I if I don't wear these, I walk around crippled like they are actually therapeutic. I mean, it's what nurses wear. And it's kind of what I exclusively wear. And believe me, I've been a shoe buyer and a fashion buyer. Do you know how many pairs of shoes I own? And all I do is wear dance goes. <laughs> I think it's also important to call out that you and I were walkers, right? Like we are the only people who've lived in LA yeah. without a car, I think. And so yeah. 
it always it has always struck me as a person who hasn't been like a driver. Yeah, I'm licensed to drive, but I it's not a thing I do very often. I'm a city person. I always think about how can I walk, take public transportation, ride my bike. It's always perplexed me that we would wear shoes that would prevent us from being able to do that. And you I feel yeah. like we see it a lot in LA where people have to take an Uber just because their shoes are too uncomfortable to walk a couple blocks. And I think about the era of Sex and the City and the Manolos and the Stilettos. And I'm like, why? I have seen... It slows you down. It slows you down. And in the era of our nasty gal years, mm-hmm. uh, that was when I was wearing the craziest shoes. And you know, I'm going to tell you, my feet were a mess. I was in pain. Yeah. Why would you do that? Your feet are so important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But it made you look cool. And that was just kind of... It was, it was just kind of accepted. You just had to accept that your feet were going to hurt. And yeah. now I feel like people are not going to accept that. That's what I think too, because all it takes is like, what is it, five months now? And you know, things aren't changing anytime soon. We're going to be looking at least the rest of this year at home in our house shoes. Why yeah. would you go back to squeezing your feet into something where like your little toe is like sandwiched over the next toe and you get blisters or yeah. plantar fasciitis or I mean bunions like why would we ever go back to that i mean as a trend plantar fasciitis i feel like it rolls off of everyone's tongues these days (laughs) everyone's got it and i think after the pandemic most people are going to have some resolve on that because they're all wearing orthopedics totally totally i think we're all like we're all like oh shit my feet have been hurting for like three years (laughs) why am i just realizing that i can actually be comfortable yeah, <laughs> and, you know, on the opposite side of things, I do think that there will be an uptick once this, whenever this ends, you know, when those going out girls go back to the club, they are going to be wearing those heels. They are not going to be wearing their Uggs. They're going to want to look good. <laughs> but I think, I think you're totally right in, in the more average day-to-day setting yeah, I think I think there's going to be a bit of a push away from the uncomfortable shoes of your. And I think I think something similar is kind of happening with clothing, right? Mm-hmm. It, which somehow makes me more sad because when I think about all of us wearing sweatpants or something for the rest of time, I won't even wear them right now. Uh, I get really sad. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want to wear these sweatpants forever. Well, I have good news for you, Kim, because for people who don't want to wear sweatpants or leggings, there is an alternative. Hmm. So so when I say the phrase nap dresses, what comes to mind? It, my grandma's um, sleeping sleeping gown. Oh, you know, yeah, the, like the zip up. Yeah. Fancy ones with like, you, there's usually like some sort of um, embroidery. Or, oh, yeah. You, you see them at like a JCPenney's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, 100% nylon. Yeah. They're like Easter colored. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, so I first became aware of the nap dress as a concept back in February. So pre-quarantine, when we were less comfortable, maybe, uh, I was, you know, taking a look at a man repeller article about $300 nightgowns, which to be fair, I'm, I'm a nightgown fan. So it was total clickbait for a person like me, but I was also like $300. Yeah. 
get your lives together. I mean, that was the cheapest one. They were way expensive too, more expensive too. But in this article, the writer mentioned this Hill House home had recently posted an Instagram photo of the founder, Nell Diamond, not to be confused with Neil Diamond. Oh, yeah. I, I got confused. I had to read it like three times. Their founder, Nell Diamond, was wearing a nap dress. And that's what they called it, a nap dress. And basically, yeah. it's like a smocked puff sleeve baby doll dress that was very easy, like no zippers, buttons, just pull over the head, relaxed fit. You could or could not wear a bra. Is it is it smocked in the bust or where is it? Smocked? Yeah, 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 in the bust. But I, I do want to say that there are more nap dresses out there now. <laughs> but they all yeah. are this idea of like something you just pull on, basically something you can wear around the house but still feel cute. I read somewhere someone was saying like, oh, like you could take a nap with your kids, but then uh, your neighbors could show up to say hi and you wouldn't be embarrassed. Isn't that just kind of most clothes. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I, I, feel I, know, like I nap I in whatever I'm wearing, even if it is kind of uncomfortable. I mean, yeah, I, I, if you want to nap, who's going right. to stop you? Right. I mean, I guess if you were wearing really tight jeans, you could unzip them or something. To be honest, this nap dress is what that brand sleeper has been doing for uh -huh. several years now, but those sleeper dresses are expensive. They're all well over $400. And this Hill House one is only $100 Whoa. and it's been sold out forever. People are into the snap dress, but I'm going to tell you, mm -hmm. I'm a little torn about the $100 price point because for one, there's no info anywhere on the site about sustainability or ethical practices. And like, you know, if something is made well of a nice fabric and the people who are making it are being paid properly and have benefits and treated well, then yeah, sign me up to pay $100 for this snap dress. But I didn't see that. And to be honest... I saw very similar, almost exactly similar dresses at Target <laughs> last week. Yeah. And other fast fashion retailers too. I mean, just like a puff sleeve baby doll dress that's smocked. You could get that just about anywhere. I do. I do wear a lot of dresses around the house. Uh, I don't believe in pants. I think pants are uncomfortable whether you're awake or napping. So I do support this easy, comfy dress aesthetic. But to be honest, my heart will always belong to the original nap dress, the caftan. Oh, the caftan is so much more glamorous. I feel like they should just throw out that this nap dress idea and just put on your caftan, put on your babouche, <laughs> and you've got a really, really cute look that, yeah, if the neighbors stop by Which, in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I would be like, what are you doing here? Get out. Yeah, it's like, what, like a Zoom call comes in, like a <laughs> But like, like it wasn't planned. Like, who was looking at you? You know who's looking at you? That TikTok video that you're shooting. You know, like that's that's ultimately yeah. it. You know, this is this is this is full on conspicuous consumption. Oh my god, is it is it ever? I I totally agree. Also, every time I've said nap dress in the past couple minutes, my brain has been filled with visions of wet naps. <laughs> So it's just like not Ooh. even an aspirational name, but I do feel like it's someone saying, hey, I'd really like you to buy something during the pandemic. Here you go. Here's something. Yeah. And here's an idea of how to wear it. Yeah. What do you think of the longevity of this, this item is? I mean, like I said, it's a basic baby doll dress. So mm -hmm. I think it's something you could wear every summer. Who cares? Do they all look this like the same is the nap dress like an actual silhouette or is it just a name for something that's like a comfortable summery sleepy dress i think it's the name for something that's a comfortable summery sleepy dress i think yeah. you know it's not a fit and flare uh it yeah. doesn't need a belt 
It is very relaxed fit. It's going to be flowing. So it's not bodycon. Yeah, not at all. You know, you like you don't have to get someone to zip you into it because there isn't mm-hmm. a zipper. And I mean, it's a caftan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be really honest that I did not think that the ones I was seeing initially being called the nap dress were very different from the uh, terry cloth baby dolls of like the juicy era. <laughs> I was literally just thinking about that one i remember when i because I, I used to work at shop up mm-hmm. that we would have those in all the time yeah it's it's that but in like a now you know it's more of like a woven cotton maybe a lawn if it's particularly high end they also did them in velour do you think we're going to see this trend for <sighs> fall i mean into velour? as soon as you said that i got really excited <laughs> yeah i think it's cuter slightly dressier but it'll still be soft right and i'm assuming that when fall comes depending on where you live in the country you're gonna have to wear some tights or leggings or Mm -hmm. like like fuzzy socks with it so the velour would look a lot better or velvet yeah Uh, i think we can make it cuter yeah yeah so i think i wouldn't be surprised if we see a ton more of this coming then again like i have no idea because when i look at the product that i've seen launching on a lot of retailers sites in the past few weeks it's been so incredibly safe that yeah. there, it's almost as if no one's used the pandemic as a as a moment for innovation and instead it's been just like let's just bring back our best sellers again interesting yeah i, I can definitely see that I, that checks so i know you've got your own white whale of comfy quarantine clothes yeah well, I mean, and this is this is just based on experience, which is the elusive casual short shortage of the 2020 <laughs> pandemic. Casual shorts have been massively trending. Anything from a French Terry to a biker short, um, they are sold out amongst many of the brands. I think I would probably say after we kind of all realized we were going into summer. Um, and this was not ending anytime soon. People have slowly started investing in more and more casual attire. Um, and as it's gotten hot, a lot of people just don't haven't, don't have a lot of like comfortable shorts. So I think that caused this higher demand that the inventory could fulfill. So there has been just sold outs everywhere. I mean, I was looking at Cotton Citizen, which I don't usually look at. Because they their price point, I just I find is a bit high for what it is, especially since I've made fleece and knit products. I know mm-hmm. and, and American made ones. I know how much they cost. So they did have some shorts on there, and you know another big trend is tie dye oh. or any sort of kind of like handmade dye situation. Mm-hmm. So they they have some that are kind of like these really pretty muddled, and of course you know me like kind of darker grayish brownish colors mm-hmm. sold yeah. out. They had them um, at revolve sold out their $155 fleece shorts. I was like, so I was like, Holy crap. And then I was looking at mate the label, which is another line. That's a real amazing, sustainable line. I love them. I love mate. Yeah. I love them. They do great stuff. And I'm sure that they are just killing it right now because not only are they American made, but they're make, making all of the comfort wear that people really want sold out. Amanda, I wanted some shorts sold out. So cute. Sold out. I mean, it makes me happy because I, meat is small. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe it's, you know, we were seeing so many businesses collapse right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the year that these other brands take off. 
I certainly hope so. I hope so too. I mean, people are looking for it, you know, and, you know, people do have a little more disposable income because they're not, they're not traveling. They're not spending that money on, like we said, a nice shoe. They're not spending that money on, on things that you usually do, like experiences that happen growing. They're kind of, they just want some comfortable shorts to sit around the house in and mate the label hopefully, you know, is able to produce now that, you know, since they're in LA, it's very likely that they can um, meet the demand and produce quickly, you know, God willing. Another sold out item is uh, Lisa says, they make this lounge set, which kind of reminds me a little bit of your nap dress, Amanda, but it's this set. It comes, it's sold with like a tiny little top and a tiny little bottom. Oh yeah. It's so cute. And it, it kind of reminds me of like, like when you were a little girl and you got those little, like little sleep sets, kind of flirty, like bright colors. Like they really kind of nailed it with that. Those things are sold out. Patagonia has had these shorts called the baggy, the, the, they're called Patagonia baggies. The cut recently did an article on them. And the article does not link strangely to the Patagonia site. They link to, I think, Dick's Sporting Goods. And if you go to it. What? <laughs> I, don't, any I don't understand that. Like, like you do realize if you buy it direct from Patagonia, they can give more money to, you know, all of their kind of sustainable um, measures that they're doing. Right. But there was a really funny article about the baggie and how you can kind of dress it up, dress it down. They cost $55. They're made of 100% recycled nylon. They're water repellent. They can be worn as swim shorts, but they also can be kind of dressed up, dressed down, lounged around. They're just kind of like a great everyday short. Like I have got my eye on them. I think they come in two different inseams, like a, a shorter one and a longer one. Okay. I think they're really cute. And, you know, Patagonia has been like their brand clout it's it just keeps growing like they do so many amazing things for the environment and they're just a really really good company to support even though they're really big they just give back so much i think you know going to them for some cute versatile shorts that you'll be able to use for years highly mm-hmm. recommended from kim over here and i'll definitely be getting myself a, a pair i also was in the market this was kind of early in the pandemic when I thought that we would likely be going back to work and I wanted some <laughs> biker shorts that are obviously really popular. You can kind of get them anywhere. They suck you in. They look great with like a woven top, but they also can be worn when you're like working out. So I, I got a pair from Girlfriend. They are a little stuffy. They are made from plastic. I think we can talk a little bit about, about, about this product and this type of product on a different episode, but you know, biker shorts, super popular. I wear them constantly. For the summer, I've I've vacillated between wearing a dress with biker shorts underneath so I can lounge around and not flash everyone, or just yeah. wearing an enormous like five XL yeah. t shirt and and biker shorts kind of like as a really short dress. I have like twenty pairs of biker shorts. I stand by them, but they are they yeah. make you sweat. All of them. They make you sweat. All of them do. In fact, if they're any good and they recover their shape, they're gonna make you sweat. Yeah. <laughs> like is what it is. And also, you know during the um, the summer months. And if you're maybe not, if you don't have a thigh gap, <laughs> I do not have a thigh <laughs> gap. Um, so, yep. <laughs> Me neither. My husband does. The biker short <laughs> kind of gives you that like, yeah. that cushion or heat chafing if you're out and about, because mm-hmm. you know, we're out and about so much these days. But biker short, I think they're 
Yeah. Okay. So, so during, during my search and this massive drought, the one shorts that I was wearing around that I've had since college. So probably what, like 15, 20 years are Sophie shorts. Are you familiar with these? Yes. Oh my God. That takes me back. Yeah. So I actually found some, they're nine <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing them right now. Okay. I love them. They're not too short. They come in so many different colors, like literally the whole spectrum of colors. They're super affordable. They are likely made in China. I think they're a 50% cotton, 50% poly. You just, you can't go wrong with them. I wore these for soccer and for field hockey. That's why I laughed when you said them. They're sports shorts. Oh, no, but they're like, that's what they're meant for. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I can, <laughs> I can see these things being actually pretty popular and and having a following, especially since, since they're like, they're so affordable, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a, it is a family brand, I believe from Fayetteville and yeah, they've been around forever. I mean, their website is pretty abysmal. I would, I bought mine on Amazon though. <laughs> um, so the, you know, the evolution of this kind of knit short, you can already see it kind of popularizing other areas of kind of other knit items. Uh, Simon Miller, Acne, Pluma Wool, uh, rib has been really, really popular, particularly rib sets where it's a long rib, rib pant and potentially like a rib matching rib um, dress or a rib top. I own two Simon Miller rib um, kind of flare legged legging pants. I love them. Every time I wear them, people, they always compliment me. They are affordable. They're like $150, $160. They're so comfortable. They do stretch out a little bit. Their sizing's a little wrong. Like I definitely had to size down. Mm-hmm. I had to, I got them in a larger size and I had to swap them out for two sizes down, but they are, they're really chic. And then Acne has some rib pieces that look just like the Simon Miller ones. Paloma Wool also, we're just going to see that kind of rib trend where it's going to be a little bit more fashionable looking knit comfortable bottom everywhere. I don't know if you've seen anything like that. I definitely have. And I, I think that just based on my experience in the industry, rib is like on a constant cycle. Mm -hmm. The last time rib was, was in was when you and I were at nasty gal. Uh, it was a, it was a different version of rib where it was a lot sexier and it was very Kendall and Kylie. Oh yeah. And then taking the world by storm, it sort of disappeared. And so now it's, it's time to come back again. And it's big and it's thick and it's like kind of like a seventies. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Kind of the takeaway of this comfort is very similar to what we've been talking about. It's like, really, how are we going to get people out of such comfortable pieces? You're not, you're not getting them out of this. Like this is the athleisure wear 2.0, you know, it's going to be just more designer looking stylish pieces that need to be reinvented in a more comfortable material. And then of course there's the counterbalance of people who are just so excited to get out of sweatpants and they are going to get back into the cute outfit. Absolutely. I mean, I'm interested to see what happened because I believe Mm -hmm. that it, the pendulum could swing pretty hard back into like warrior work and I'll be all full on hoochie all the time. There's going to be a full face of makeup. Yeah. But then again, like maybe not, I don't know. Some people I talked to were like, I'm never going back. Yeah. I don't know. It will be interesting to see what will happen because I could see it going either way. Yeah. And see who, who kind of gets on board with, you know, shaking that part of the industry up a little bit more. Cause you know, as we said, we're, we're going to be in here for, for a while and the demand for 
some sustainable knitwear. I mean, everyone's already sold, selling out of them. So if someone can jump on board and do some more innovative, fashionable pieces in comfort wear, I think they can do pretty well in that market. So now we're going to move into something that doesn't involve clothes, but sort of involves clothes. So this is actually, mm-hmm. this is me saying, hey, if you're looking to start a new business, have I got an idea for you? <laughs> so <laughs> sewing and knitting and all kinds of crafting, we're already sort of on an upswing for the past few years. But now that everyone's home and desperate for something to do and kind of getting bored with TV, this stuff is blowing up. And I actually predict the longer we're home, it's going to get even more intense because we're soon going to run out of new television shows and movies because remember, none are being made right now and it's going to get cold eventually. Mm -hmm. You're not even going to be able to like just go for a walk or a hike or go eat in a restaurant. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to start sewing and knitting and embroidering and making dollhouses and Mm -hmm. who, who knows what else. But yeah, like Kim, have you developed any hot new hobbies since quarantine began? Gosh, so many. I mean, I am pickling and fermenting. I'm taking cooking classes. My garden is banging better than it ever has. I am in the best shape of my life. I'm working out constantly. I could probably keep going on and on. And you'll definitely hear more about my other hobbies as we get through these. My sister has been doing these like gem paintings, which you may have seen advertisements for on Instagram. And it's like, these little individual sort of sequins that you glue to a painting. It's like, it's like paint by number, but with gems, not real gems, plastic gems. Yeah. It's very dazzling. And I've seen ads for it. It looks like it's like a very meticulous process. Like you use special little tool to pick them up, glue them in. Hmm. Other people are definitely getting into embroidery and sewing and knitting. I've been seeing more of those projects pop up. And like I said, I think we're going to see this pick up momentum when the weather changes. So sewing clothes has actually been picking up some momentum for the past few years because more and more people have been getting into the slow fashion movement. There are a few accounts that I have been following mm-hmm. for quite a while that I that make only their own clothing. They only wear their own clothing that they've sewn. Uh, two of them are DIY Daisy mm-hmm. and Barry Diamond. And I die of jealousy when they show shots of their closets because it's all just, it fits them perfectly. It's these beautiful, unique fabrics and prints. But the thing is, learning to sew isn't easy. I went to middle school at a time when you were still required to take home ac. We sewed an apron, which is a far cry from making a dress. And so that's kind of where my skills end. Like I could whip up an apron for you just like that. But I mean, I studied textile and apparel design. So I had to sew. I was not very good at sewing. Um, <laughs> you had to sew, you had to make your own patterns, you had to knit, you had to crochet. I mean, I've done screen printing. I've done all of it. I think there's opportunity for someone. So I guess I'm actually going to tell people two different business ideas yeah. that I could start. One is I think there's there's an opportunity for someone to swoop in there and start creating videos like maybe as a subscription service that teach people how to sew, like in a smart, cool way. Maybe you buy the package, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think probably there is similar room for someone to teach, you know, knitting, making miniatures, crochet, Mm-hmm. all kinds of handicrafts there because I do think that the cooking people, the people who teach cooking have already jumped in on this, but where, where are my crafters at? You know, like get in there. Yeah. So this is my other, like, here's a hot business plan for you. I think there's a ton of opportunity for someone to open a store that sells amazing, like cute, sustainable fabric, possibly in, from Japan where all the fabric is, I mean, it just like makes me weep with joy when I see it. It's just the nicest mm-hmm. fabric, like in terms of quality and color and 
the most beautiful prints. I think there's an opportunity to also sell well-designed notions and tools, maybe a mixture of new and vintage sewing patterns. I think you could be selling, you know, more elevated embroidery kits that feature motifs and art direction Mm -hmm. that are cool to have a well-curated assortment of yarns and colors. I think that maybe this is an online store. I I think someone needs to do this. Like if I had the spare money laying around, I would do it right now. I mean, I think this also follows, there is another trend that's out there of not people, but also brands supporting fixing your existing products, clothing or shoes or whatever. There was like a resource where you could not only buy the thread, also be able to take a mm-hmm. class on how to fix up your current clothes. I think that would be really cool because I think we, that would be really cool. During the quarantine, have had to do a lot of home repairs <laughs> that we were we were winging it. You know, we had mm-hmm. to Google stuff and watch videos and figure out how the plumbing worked and whatnot. And I wish there were more resources out there for our other possessions. Yeah, I think that I think this is a great business. I mean. Maybe you should start it, Amanda. <laughs> I'm yeah, starting right? to think, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. if my unemployment's going to pay for that, but uh, I, if someone wants to invest, yeah, right? hit me yeah. up. <laughs> I think, I think there's, there's definitely a massive opportunity yeah, totally. to, to get into that space. Um, speaking of another opportunity, blue blocking lenses. This is a trend that's been kind of talked about. I mean, it's been talked about for quite some time, but it's grown in popularity in the past couple of years. I'm sure you've kind of started hearing about it, even mostly like within this one year, there's a lot of articles on it, especially since everyone is kind of stuck to their screens a lot. And a lot of brands are cashing in on it. You know, eyewear brands, not to be confused with blue blockers. (laughs) (laughs) If you are an eighties kid, like Amanda and I, these haunted all of the um, oh. commercials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there would be like whole half hour infomercials about them on yeah. late night. Yeah. And you could order them call toll free. Yeah. Get, sometimes they'd have a hot deal where you could get two pairs for the price of one. And then like some other random quote unquote free gift with it. That was super bizarre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. a reading light. And it was always like some, some gray haired person in like a, uh-huh. in a convertible wearing them when i first heard about these blue lenses or whatever they're called blue light blocking lenses Mm -hmm. the person who was telling me about them i thought they were talking about blue blockers and i was and i was like that's not cool (laughs) (laughs) like the brand like like it could be cool if the logo was cuter but like (laughs) they're just never going to get anywhere with that logo yeah definitely not (laughs) well blue blockers actually technically do filter out blue light Mm-hmm. Um, they were, I did a little, I just did a small amount of research. I don't know much about this brand. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but, um, it was originally invented by NASA and the prototype was kind of passed around. People really loved how clear the, you know, you could see through these things and that it blocked out these harsh blue lights. And that's kind of where blue blockers came from. But now, you know, science has evolved. Um, and there's a lot of, talk about digital eye strain as you go from one screen, your computer screen to your, you know, television screen, your phone, all these things. And, 
you know, how it's kind of Mm -hmm. affecting everyone's optical health and eventually their actual, their actual health and well-being in general. Uh, Harvard Health did a study back in 2012, um, talking about and researching this blue light. So, um, not all colors of light have the same effect apparently on the human eye. Um, blue wavelengths, which are beneficial during daylight hours uh, because they boost, boost attention, reaction time, and mood, seem to be the most disruptive at night. The proliferation of electronics with screens as well as energy-efficient lighting is increasing our exposure to these blue wavelengths, including after sundown. Exposure to light suppresses the secretion of melatonin. So it starts getting a little bit sciencey. I'm kind of reading from them because I am no expert. So it suppresses the secretion of melatonin, a hormone that influences circadian rhythms. Sleep issues are known to lead to health issues like diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and cancers. So right now they're basically putting this correlation of the blue light disrupting your circadian rhythms. And that then eventually leads to these huge problems. Um, while light of any kind can suppress secretion of melatonin, blue light at night does so more powerfully. The Harvard researchers and their colleagues conducted an experiment comparing the effects of 6.5 hours of exposure to blue light to exposure to green light of comparable brightness. The blue light suppressed melatonin about twice as long as the green light and shifted circadian rhythms by twice as much. You know, so everyone's kind of hopping on board. You'll see it on Warby Parker. You'll see it on Felix Gray. Gins, I've had my eye. I know that, Amanda, you have a pair of these, but I've had my eye on these gins glasses. And, you know, everyone's talking about how it reduces eye strain, headaches, sleep issues. Like this blue light is apparently, it's it's causing a lot of discomfort. Now, controversy alert. And Amanda, I will get to you about your thoughts on this, though. But the controversy alert here is, is this a load of hooey? (laughs) I mean, I, I will say science has proven that we need to divorce ourselves from our screens earlier in the evening. Yeah. Or it will affect our sleep. And I believe that because during the pandemic, I have been doom scrolling Reddit until the moment before I can no longer hold my eyes open. And then I lay down and I can't fall asleep. I do believe that we need to discipline ourselves with our screen. Like this blue light thing. I mean, I know you're going to talk about it more, but I, there is something, maybe not to the blue light, but there is something to the idea that we should put our phones away and never take our laptop to bed. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like reducing your screen time. Well, you know, I've read a bunch of reports that medical centers have put out there, you know, and they pretty much all agree that you just don't need them. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, there's even a report that says that yellow light could be even more damaging. And then there's some that say, you know, if you really want to reduce all the blue lights, then you need to wear basically blue blockers that are that just strain out all blue light. You know, there's a lot of things. What they really are focusing on and telling you to do instead is to focus on on reducing eye strain, you know, um, and to alleviate this eye strain. You know, they're saying a 20-20-20 rule. Every 20 minutes, look at an object approximately 20 feet away for 20 seconds. So it kind of like reduces that, that focus that you have. They say, make sure you're sitting 25 inches or an arm's length away from a computer screen and tilt it downward to reduce glare. They also talk about reducing eye strain by pulling ourselves away from 
our screens because right now, you know, we're staring at them without blinking and it can cause, you know, different dryness and things like that. I, I don't think there's any harm. I think that, you know, it's, it's still kind of a cool trend and I think glasses can look really, really cool. I was watching that Netflix documentary about uh, Gloria Steinem. It's not a documentary. It's like a docudrama. Oh Oh, no, you, you mean I, I, okay. So I have to step in and say that the bl- the blue light glasses I have are exactly like the glasses the Gloria Steinman character yeah. is wearing in Mrs. Shut America. Up. Yeah, I think I, I I think I was looking at the same glasses yeah. on the website. <laughs> and and uh, that for me was like the final selling point. I also yeah. read read this article about like you know the way she was sort of wearing them over her hair. Yes, as yes. you know, I have I have, I have the same hairstyle, right? And she was saying that in the '60s and '70s, it was really embarrassing for your ears to show, and so that's people with long hair would wear their glasses like that to hold their hair over their ears. And so I was like, I'm into this idea. That's fantastic. <laughs> and then I was also like, oh, maybe these blue because I was getting headaches constantly at work. Like maybe these blue light things are going to work, you know? Yeah. What did you think? I thought I looked great, but mm-hmm. I was still getting a headache every day. And like, like now I, you and I were talking about this before we recorded. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, to be fair, I was probably getting over coronavirus, which took me like four months. <laughs> so yeah, you're probably dehydrated. You yeah. probably had a, a lot of different issues. Uh, I was I stressed out. I was yeah. super stressed out. And the lighting in my office was really bad. So I was just getting constant constant headaches so it's not even from your screen necessarily no not not necessarily there was just really bad lighting this conversation is is making me want to try it again this week and see how I feel I would yeah I would love to hear again next week about if they actually ended up being beneficial Ah, I'll, I'll let you know the gins so gins it's a Japanese brand um they're kind of like a Warby Parker I think that their their frames are a lot more fashionable than the ones that you can get at Warby mm-hmm. Parker, a lot more interesting. Agreed. They are pretty transparent about the different um, blue blocking capabilities that their glasses offer. Um, they have something that's just called J- Jin's Screen, and it's for everyday use. It blocks up to 25% of the blue light, and it's a clear tint. A lot of these blue light blocking lenses kind of have a strange color to them sometimes. They do. They do. It's not, it's not super flattering. It's not the sexiest <laughs> color. So this Jin's one is free, but the Jin Screen Plus, that one, it is an extra cost. There is something weird when someone's wearing the regular blue light ones. They do a weird thing to your like under eye circles or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that that does yeah. negate it. But once again, like we don't know if these do anything. So I would say if you want to try this trend, you should probably yeah. just a normal pair <laughs> like you don't need to go you don't need to go super deluxe yeah i think the gin screen plus is something like an extra hundred dollars and it blocks 40 percent of the blue lights and has a light green tint i mean i think it also just raises your consciousness of you know if you're wearing them and you put them on you i think you, you'll you'll think more about your screen time maybe it's like, a, it's like a little reminder. And you look cute in them. Warby Parker's doing them. They don't talk about how much blue light it filters out. The, uh, Felix Gray has gotten really, really good reviews. So a lot of people say that they have the best blue light blocking feature. 
um, that it's it's not coded. I don't know if the Jinns or Warby is, is coded. They don't really give a whole lot of information. But Felix Gray says that they reduce glare, that the, the blue light blocking feature is actually within the lenses and not coded on it. And then there's a polarization that reduces screen discolorations with the Felix Gray. I don't think Felix Gray is fashionable at all. <laughs> They're not appealing. They're really basic, you know, from... From a buyer standpoint, like I think they could be doing a lot more with their glasses, but I'm guessing that their minimums are probably so insanely high to get these price points that they have to get the most commercial frames possible. I mean, they're safe. They're safe. You know, and to be fair, they look for the most part like universally flattering. Honestly, they look a lot like Warby Parker to me. And I always go into the Warby Parker store and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get some glasses. And then I leave like, eh, you know, so. I think it's, I think they looked at Warby Parker and they were like, we can identify the best selling shapes and we're just going to go with it. There's one last brand I just wanted to bring up. And this is a brand that I actually think is doing something really cool. And they do offer a blue, blue light blocking feature, but really what they've done is they've disrupted the reader eyeglass market. They're called Caddis. Um, They're based here in California in LA where I am. Um, and they're basically making readers cool. You know, readers, you get them at the grocery store or at, at Walgreens. <laughs> and, they, and they're always, yeah, they're on the, like the round yes, thing they're on the, with the little mirror. Yes, yeah. POP <laughs> display. Um, <laughs> and it's, they're just really, really progressive on this kind of anti-aging trend that I would love to talk about sometime. And there is a big movement about normalizing aging especially as people and kind of cooler, hipper, you know, millennials and Gen Z and, you know, we're all getting older. So Caddis is, it's an anti, anti-aging brand, they call themselves. They have an open and frank conversation about how absolutely right on it is to be the age that you are. They're calling bullshit on 50 is the new 40 and on the whole fountain of youth illusion. They're kind of taking that fear out of age and the concept of aging gracefully. And so they, they really embrace it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And they use these readers as kind of a platform to, to, to talk about that. The blue light blocking technology in it is also um, not coded. Uh, they do these like, frequency lenses and you can just get them on like a, 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 a no reader magnification. They'll block 45% of the harmful blue light. They think that they just have something kind of interesting going on and they're pretty affordable. And they're also really almost almost totally clear. So if you're kind of looking for a reader um, or not looking for a reader because you can get a no magnification, I think Caddis is great. And it's a really great emerging brand to support as well because they're not like a venture capital brand. And I think the last thing I want to say about all of this you know, with my research is another way to reduce blue light late at night. If you have an iPhone, you can set your iPhone to night shift for a certain period of time, like from 9 p.m. to 7 a.m. You set it for night shift and the night shift function alters the color of your phone's display to the warmer end of the color spectrum. So you're exposed to less blue light and it just does that automatically. Yeah, I do that a lot. I think I do think that makes a difference. I don't even do that. I, I mean, I, I'm so bad with tech, my technology. I don't even know why, but that's great. I learned that from my sister, my little sister. It was, it was helpful. Friend. Oh, yeah. yeah. You got to learn from, from the younger, the younger set. <laughs> so I feel like this is the end of our first episode. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening. Yeah, I hope that you learned a lot. And, you know, if you have any anything that you 
that you feel like has really kind of changed your life or any sort of trends, you know, be sure to kind of drop us a line. Um, you can slide into our our DMs on our Instagram account. Our email address is info at the department dot world. Yes, dot world. It's the new world of URLs. And our Instagram account is underscore the underscore department. And if that sounds confusing, don't worry, because we'll have all of this information in our show notes. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It can bring us some more listeners. Thank you so much. And stay tuned for next week for more hot trends. Bye. Bye.